Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. But I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that we are having this opportunity to study the life of probably one of the most influential people in the cause of modern missions, and that is David Brainerd. And he is not an incredible figure because of his power, his charisma. He's actually more of an amazing exhibition of God's power and mercy because of his weakness. He was definitely a man where the passage in Corinthians, my power is perfected in weakness, was demonstrated. This was an amazing fellow. David Brainerd um, and his life. We're actually going to spend a little bit more time on his chronology of 29 years than I normally would do because his life is so short. And then we'll talk about the impact of his life. But as we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity to look at the work that you have done through individuals, through the lives of these people who have been faithful to the call. And, O oh Lord, we pray that it would not just be an intellectual study, but it would affect us, it would affect our hearts and our minds, that would affect how we view our obedience to your call, Lord Jesus, to go and make disciples of all nations. Father, we pray that as we do this, that you would exalt your Son, that he would be seen as more grand and glorious through the work and through the life of David Brainerd. And we praise you and thank you for this in your Son's name. Amen. The title of our study today is David Brainerd, All His Desire and All His Hope. And that is based upon a quote that will, you'll see at the bottom of the second page of your handout. I'm going to go ahead and begin with the chronology uh, of David Brainerd. April 20th, 1718, he was born um, to a home in Connecticut. John Wesley and Jonathan Edwards turned 14 at that year. Benjamin Franklin turned 12, and George Whitfield had turned 3. The Great Awakening was just over the horizon, and Brainerd would live through both waves of it, in the mid-30s and early 40s. He was born in Haddam, Connecticut to a farming family. The son of Hezekiah, a Connecticut legislator, and Dorothy, his mom. Uh, Hezekiah was a rigorous Puritan with strong views of authority and strictness at home, and he pursued a very earnest devotion that included days of private fasting to promote spiritual welfare. You talk about large families today, and you think some homeschool families are large. Well, that was not uncommon in David Brainerd's age. He had nine siblings. So there were a total of 12 in that home. In 1727, his father died. And I will apologize for the quality of the pictures that are on the overhead and on your handout. Uh, color photography had not been perfected at that time, so we'll have to do with black and white. I see some of you shaking your head at my horrible joke. Um, well, in 1732, his mother died, and Brainerd moved to East Haddam to live with one of his older sisters, Jerusha. Remember that name, because you'll hear that later on in his life. At the age of 19, he inherited a family farm near Dorm, but did not enjoy 
farming. He returned to East Haddam a year later to prepare to enter Yale. During the year on the farm, he made a commitment to God to enter a ministry, even though he had not yet been converted. He read through the Bible twice, but he began to see more clearly that his relationship to God was really his own efforts and focused on legalism. He quarreled with the fact that there was anything he could do in his strength to commend himself to God. There was no more goodness in my praying than there would be in my paddling with my hands in the water, he said. He began to recognize the foolishness and the futility of his own efforts to make him right with God. So in July 12, 1739, he was converted. He recorded having an experience of, quote, unspeakable glory that prompted him in a hearty desire to exalt God, to set him on the throne, and to seek his kingdom. Well, it was an inward apprehension of his standing before God, and it struck him deeply. He felt himself in a brand new world. And of course, that echoes the phrase from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creature, exactly. He was 21 years old. September of 1739, he entered Yale College in New Haven, Connecticut to study for the ministry. While there, he heard most of the prominent preachers of the First Great Awakening. Anybody remember who some of those folks were? Jonathan Edwards was one, yes. The other fellow with the loud voice. Whitfield, George Whitfield, exactly. Gilbert, uh, Gilbert Tennant, James Davenport, Ebenezer Pemberton. Don't you love these names? They fanned the flames of discontent among the students with their fiery preaching at Yale. Matter of fact, there were two schools there. There was the old lights who were the critics of the awakening who accused the revivalists or new lights of excess and emotional outbursts. Well, interestingly enough, Gilbert Tennant uh, was born in a Presbyterian Scots-Irish family in Ireland, homeschooled by his father, William Tennant. And those who are students of history may remember that William Tennant started the Log College, which trained Presbyterian ministers and eventually uh, became located in Warminster, Pennsylvania. But it was a hard beginning at Yale for David Brainerd. Hazing by the upperclassmen, that's not just something that happens today. Little spirituality, difficult studies. He got measles in his first year, had to go home for several weeks during the first year. In 1940, 1740, excuse me, in his second year of, at Yale, he went home because he was suffering from a serious illness that caused him to spit up blood. What do you think that might be? Tuberculosis. Exactly. So at the age of 21, he would only live till 29, he was diagnosed with tuberculosis. That disease would lead to his death a mere seven years later. The amazing thing may not be that he died so early and accomplished so little, but that being as sick as he was, that God through him was able to accomplish so much. In November of 1740, he returned to Yale as tensions began to build between the old light and the new light. The new light gained many adherents at the college, including Brainerd, and he became involved in a separate church founded by the students. Now, in 1741, the trustees of the college made a decree that, quote, 
if any student of this college shall directly or indirectly say that the rector, either of the trustees or tutors, are hypocrites, carnal, or unconverted men, he shall, for the first offense, make a public confession in the hall, and the second offense be expelled. On the afternoon of that same day, Jonathan Edwards came and delivered the commencement speech. Do you think that he made things better? No, 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 no. He made things much worse because he fanned the flames of this delight with God and this encouragement of the students to be fully absorbed in their devotion and their pursuit of him. Well, he preached the distinguishing marks of a work of the Spirit of God and totally disappointed the faculty and staff. He argued that the work going on in the Great Awakening of those days, and especially among the students, was a real spiritual work in spite of the excesses. So, he even went to so far as to say in his commencement address that, quote, it is no evidence that a work is not the work of God if many that are subjects of it are guilty of so great forwardness to censure others as unconverted. Translation, it ain't no surprise if the newly converted people look at the old lights and say, I doubt that they're saved. Well, guess what David Brainerd did? He did just that. In November of 1741, Brainerd was reported as saying that one of the tutors, one of the local ministers, had no more grace than a chair. And then he wondered why the rector did not drop dead for fining students perceived as overzealous. What do you think happened to David Brainerd? You're out of there. He was expelled. He was expelled. He was expelled for refusing to make a public confession and so expelled from Yale. Actually, he did apologize for the first statement that he had no more grace than a chair, but he denied the second statement. He was out. And though people fought to get him back in, he was out and there was no returning. That expulsion wounded Brainerd very deeply, as you might imagine. He tried again and again over the years to make it right to no avail. There's a great lesson here. There's a tremendous lesson. God is at work for the glory of his name and the good of his church, even when the good intentions of his servants fail. Even when that failing is owing to sin or to carelessness. One careless word spoken in haste, and Brainerd's life seemed to fall apart before his eyes. Here he was planning to go to the ministry, and now, because of the laws of New England, he was not able to become an ordained minister. Concerning the missionary movement, hear this, this is, this is important. The missionary movement that was so inspired by Brainerd's missionary life would not have happened 
if Brainerd had not been expelled from Yale and cut off from his hopes to serve God in a church pastorate. So here you see beauty from ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise from a spirit of heaviness. Brainerd became the unlikely hero of the pro-Great Awakening evangelists and became an itinerant preacher, filling pulpits all around the area. Well, in spite of the ban, in July of 1742, he was licensed to preach by the Ministerial Association of Danbury, Connecticut. And later that year, in November of 72, he was appointed a missionary to the Indians by the Society in Scotland for Propagating Christian Knowledge. How's that for a title? He spent the winter serving on a church in Long Island so he could enter the wilderness. And then in 43, April of 43, he worked with John Sargent. He was learning some of the Native American languages. He preached through an interpreter. And he began his labors among the Housatonic Indian settlement in New York. There's actually a Housatonic River in Connecticut. If you look that up, it's there. Well, during that period, he started a school. This is important. He started a school for Native American children and began a translation of the Psalms into their language. His role on education in the United States is absolutely amazing and far more than many people realize. In 44, he was ordained by the Presbyterian in Newark, New Jersey. He arrived at the forks of the Delaware River near Easton, Pennsylvania, where Kim and I, we live near there. And then he began his labors among the Delaware Indians in New Jersey, most fruitful ministry. Within a year, the Native American church there had 130 converted members. Think about the churches at that time. You know, you had a group of 20, 30 people. Here you have a greenfield effort with 130 converts from the heathenism and paganism that they followed. All because he was expelled from school. Well, then he and that little tribe no play on words intended, moved to Cranberry, New Jersey, 15 miles northeast, and established a Christian community, the Bethel Mission. And out of his experiences came the publication of two installments of his own spiritual turmoil and exaltation. In those years, he refused several offers to return and go back to churches in New England and stayed with the missionaries, excuse me, with the uh, Indians. And this is a quote. As a matter of fact, turn your paper over because at the bottom of the page you'll see this. He wrote in his diary this phrase, I could have no freedom in the thought of any other circumstance or business in my life. All my desire was the conversion of the heathen and all my hope was in God. God does not suffer me to please or comfort myself with hopes of seeing friends, returning to my dear acquaintance, and enjoying worldly comforts. And that's why this lesson is entitled All His Desire and All His Hope. That is the hallmark of his life. In 46, he became too ill to continue ministering and so moved to Jonathan Dickinson's house in Elizabethtown. 
He rested there for a few months, and for all of his zeal, however, his constitution could not stand up to the hardships, and he officially discontinued his labors because of his tuberculosis. Seriously weakened, he left New Jersey for the home of his friend, Jonathan Edwards, in Northampton, Massachusetts. And apart from a trip to Boston later that year, he remained at Edwards' death uh, house. In May of 47, he was officially diagnosed with consumption, incurable consumption, or TB, which he had contracted years earlier. In those final months, he suffered greatly. In his diary entry, he said this, in the greatest distress that I ever endured, having an uncommon kind of hiccup, which either strangled me or threw me into a straining to vomit. And during that time, he was nursed by Jerusha Edwards. Remember we talked about Jerusha earlier? Now he is being cared for by Jonathan Edwards' daughter, Jerusha, who would die of tuberculosis because of his nurse, her nursing care for David Brainer. Well, if you look at your pictures, you'll see the wonderful photographs of Mr. Brainerd, and then a picture of him on horseback. He rode over 3,000 miles on horseback, and his horse had frequently been poisoned or stolen during that time. You also see him preaching open air to the Native Americans. And then there's a picture of his tomb after he died in October 9th of 47. And next to his tomb is that large picture on the bottom, which includes the name of Jerusha, who is buried right next to Mr. Brainerd. Well, let's talk about the impacts of Jonathan Edwards' life. And I am having a little difficulty here progressing this slide. There we go. All right. One key source of the impact was the book, the book that was published by Jonathan Edwards after his death. Um, I'm not certain if this is working, guys. The battery may be dead, but if we could... All right, if you could, if you could advance that, please. Um, Jonathan Edwards was so moved by the life of David Brainerd, he collected sections out of Brainerd's diaries and published them. He published them as an account of the life of the late Reverend da Mr. David Brainerd. And you have this paragraph there. This is from Jonathan Edwards. I would conclude my observations on the merciful circumstances of Mr. Brainerd's death without acknowledging with thankfulness the gracious dispensation of providence to me and my family in so ordering that he should be cast hither to my house in his last sickness and should die there. Now remember, Edwards wrote this in full knowledge that his daughter, who tended Brainerd, died because of her efforts at nursing him. Goes on. So that we had opportunity for much acquaintance and conversation with him and to show him kindness in such circumstances and to see his dying behavior, 
to hear his dying speeches, to receive his dying counsels, and to have the benefit of his dying prayers. Edward said that even though he must have known it probably cost the life of his daughter to have Brainerd in his house with that terrible disease, that he was thankful for the gracious dispensation of providence. So, over the years, that last picture that you have on the front page of the handout, bottom right corner, that's a copy of the original book. And over the centuries, that work has achieved international fame, sold more copies than anything else that Edward published. Since its initial publication, it has never gone out of print. 271 years later. As a matter of fact, we are just days away. This is the fourth, right? Five days from now, it will be 273 years from the date that David Brainerd died. That book has never been out of print because through the life of that book, people like John Wesley said, let every preacher read carefully over the life of David Brainerd. Henry Martin, again, a famous Puritan preacher and evangelist, saying, perusing the life of David Brainerd, his soul was filled with a holy emulation of that extraordinary man. And after deep consideration and fervent prayer, I was at last fixed in a resolution to imitate his example. Oh, blessed be the memory of that beloved saint. No uninspired writer ever did me such good. William Carey, you know William Carey, he regarded Edward's life of Brainerd as a sacred text. Robert Morrison, Robert McShane, John Mills, Frederick Schwartz, David Livingston, Andrew Murray, Jim Elliott, and countless others looked upon Brainerd with a kind of awe and drew power from him and his examples. Well, that being said, what could be said was the most awesome impact of Brainerd's life? From what I've said so far, what would you say would be the most incredible impact of his life? Was it the stories of his dedication? Was it how he, well he died? Was it his work among Native Americans? Was it the fact that his death and his life meant so much that Edwards wrote this book? You have to, you have to come to the conclusion that 130 Native Americans who had been snatched out of the jaws of death through his dedication and proclamation of the word is the most lasting and enduring impact and legacy that David Brainerd has. I had the pleasure of going to school, my wife and I, with someone who was a descendant of the men affected by David Brainerd. And just the heritage that comes from knowing that this man, through his short life and a very short ministry among Indians, the Native American people, had this sort of impact, that there are more than 130 souls in glory because of the brief ministry of this man. Well, he also had an impact upon education. Specifically, we know that he was expelled from Yale, right? But he played 
a role in the establishment of Princeton College, which is now Princeton University, a Presbyterian school, because the people that believed in what was happening during the Great Awakening and who were upset that Yale expelled him said, oh, well, we're just going to start another school. And that also happened at Dartmouth. So you have Princeton and Dartmouth in Lafayette College. Lafayette College founded the Brainerd Evangelical Society based on Brainerd's teachings in order to promote Christian missions and evangelization of the world. They also constructed a building known as Brainerd Hall, now called Hog Hall. I don't know why. Should have kept the other name, but that's just my opinion. They didn't ask me. Dartmouth College was originated from a school founded by Eliezer, Eliezer Wheelock, whose descendant we knew in college, for Native Americans and colonists in 1748. Wheelock had been inspired by Brainerd's example of Native American education. Brainerd felt a failure among the Iroquois Indians on the Susquehanna. He labored among them for a year or so and then moved on. But his diary of the time kindled the imagination of Wheelock to go to the Iroquois of Connecticut. And inspired by his example and teaching, he founded in 1748 a school for Indians and whites at Lebanon. Later it moved to New Hampshire, Hanover, New Hampshire, where was founded Dartmouth College. So this short life had an incredible impact upon education in the U.S. But let's look also at the impact of weakness. And that perhaps is where we're going to, that is the time where we're going to spend most of our time today remaining. Piper said, Brainerd's life is a vivid, powerful testimony to the truth that God can and does use weak, sick, discouraged, beat down, lonely, struggling saints who cry to him day and night to accomplish amazing things for his glory. William Carey said, I was much humbled today by reading Brainerd. Oh, what a disparity betwixt him and me. He always constant, I as inconstant as the wind. His life is a testimony to the truth that God uses people like you and I. Weak, fragile people. He had weakness in a broken body. He had weakness in a broken body. Let's go to the next slide, if our equipment will cooperate with us. Thank you. Let's go ahead and uh, put that quote up there as well, please. There we are. Thank you. <clears throat> Brainerd struggled with almost constant sickness, not only as a child, but he had to drop out of college for some weeks because of measles, and then he began to cough up blood. In 1744, he journaled this. I rode several hours in the rain through the howling wilderness. Although I was so disordered in body that little or nothing but blood came from me. In the afternoon, my pain increased exceedingly and was obliged to betake myself to bed, was sometimes almost bereaved of the existence or the exercise of my reason by the extremity of pain. In the greatest distress that I ever endured, having an uncommon kind of hiccup, which either strangled me or threw me into a straining to vomit. So he had dry heaves. 
But when he did, he would bring up blood. Even though he was weak in body, Brainerd wanted to honor God in that weakness. He had lain in a cold sweat all night, coughed up much bloody matter in the morning, and was under a great order of body and not a little melancholy. In the last couple of months, his suffering was incredible. Jonathan Edwards comments that in the week before he died, that Brainerd told him it was impossible to conceive of the distress he felt in his chest. Brainerd manifested much concern lest he should dishonor God by impatience under his extreme agony, which was such that he said the thought of enduring it one minute longer was almost insupportable. Some of you know that I've got a job in a uh, admissions to the emergency room at St. Vincent's. Um, and there are people who come in, and like you and I, when we're not feeling well, we're not very patient. And I've had people yell at me, throw things at me, tell me to shave my beard. <laughs> but Edwards was, and others were amazed by how well Brainerd endured these weaknesses of body without the complaining and the moaning. But in addition to the weakness of body, Brainerd also suffered with a weakness of his mind in a despairing mind. And he would write things like the next quote, my soul remembered the wormwood and the gall. I might almost say hell, a Friday last. And I was greatly afraid that I should be obliged again to drink that cup of trembling which was inconceivably more bitter than death and made me long for the grave more, unspeakably more than for hid treasures. In hours of darkness, he could sometimes feel no sense of hope or love or fear. He grew up with an austere father. He lost both parents at an early age. He was expelled from school, and throughout his life, he fought with despair and depression. He had a weakness of mind, but still God used him mightily. It's simply amazing how often he pressed on with the practical necessities of his work in the face of these waves of discouragement. There was no, there has no doubt a great increase of how missionaries who have faced the same things or struggling saints who face the same thing in their daily lives found an identity, found a rapport with this man. He also suffered by a weakness in a lonely soul. He was a lonely man, as you might imagine. He tells of having to endure the talk of two profane strangers one night in 1743. And he said, Oh, how I long that some dear Christian knew my distress. A month later he said, Most of the talk I hear is either Highland, Scotch, or Indian. I don't know why that's a bad thing. 
But he went on to clarify by saying, I have no fellow Christian to whom I might unbosom myself and lay open my spiritual sorrows and with whom I might take sweet counsel in conversation about heavenly things and join in social prayer. This is a challenge to me because there are times when I listen to people who are caught in such sorrow or loneliness and I find myself being impatient with them. God used this weakness so that others who struggled with that could identify that they too were lonely, but they found hope and solace as Brainerd did in the God of all comfort. Next, there was another weakness. There was a weakness in external hardships. In one August he said, in this weak state of body, I think the quote is up there, in this weak state of body, I was not a little distressed for want of suitable food. Had no bread, nor could I get any. I am forced to go 10 or 15 miles for all the bread I eat. And sometimes tis moldy and sour before I eat it if I get any considerable quantity. But through divine goodness, I had some Indian meal, probably ground corn, of which I made little cakes and fried them, yet felt contented with my circumstances and sweetly resigned to God. He said that he was frequently lost in the woods, exposed to cold and hunger. He talked about his horse breaking a leg. Smoke from a fireplace would clog up his lungs so bad he'd have to go out into the cold and then he couldn't sleep because of what was happening in his lungs. But with the struggle of all of these external hardships, as great as they were, he had an amazing resignation and even rest, it seems, in many of those circumstances. He knew where they fit in his biblical approach to life. He knew that those things and the discomforts that you and I face, though not as harsh as Brainerd, we know that they are there to serve to wean us from this life, to show us that this is not our eternal home. We should long for our final home with Christ. Surprisingly, the next weakness is that Brainerd had a weakness in loving the Native Americans. He had a weakness in loving the Indians. Does that surprise you? Do you and I always love the people that we're called to share the gospel with? Our friends, our neighbors? those who position themselves as our enemies. That candor, that honesty, was very helpful. Look at this quote, November 2nd, 1744. And the quote is this, about noon, I rode up to the Indians and while going, could feel no desires for them and even dreaded to say anything to them. 
He struggled with the love rising and falling in his heart, but he longed to love so much more. Sometimes he was melted with love. In September 18 of 1742, he said, I felt some compassion for souls, and I mourned that I had no more. I feel much more kindness, meekness, and gentleness and love towards all mankind than ever. But he still he wanted more. And if this man can say this with such candor and honesty, who are we to withhold a confession before our Lord that we sometimes are not as warm and inviting to others? He also had a weakness in staying true to his calling. He had a weakness in staying true to his calling. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that he wanted to join the circus? Does that mean he just wanted to run away, go to the south coast of France? No, but there were many opportunities, as I mentioned before, where people would say, come and serve at our church. And even churches that were close to his home called him. He turned them down, prayed that the Lord would send laborers to his vineyard. The struggle was resolved when Brainerd said this, I could have no freedom in the thought of any circumstance or business in life. This is that quote that's at the bottom of your second page. All my desire was the conversion of the heathen. All my hope was in God. God does not suffer me to please or comfort myself with hopes of seeing friends, returning to my dear acquaintances, and enjoying worldly comforts. He was held to his post by a readiness to suffer and a passion to see the kingdom of Christ spread among the Indians. Well, we've talked about his weaknesses. But it's important to know what the key responses were to his weaknesses. How would you overcome them? And this is classroom participation time. With all those weaknesses, besides curling up in a ball, listening to Barry Manilow and having a good cry session, all right, how would you respond to these? I mean, I've just given you some heavy stuff here. What would be the inclination of your heart? Go away on a fishing trip to Michigan? Well, what would your response be? No, you're not going on a fishing trip to Michigan. I get it. <laughs> Maybe a shopping trip. <laughs> what would you do? How would you respond? It's amazing. In spite of those struggles, he pressed on, and the, the chief reasons... of not giving up faith and ministry, he was consumed with a passion to finish his race and honor his master and seek the kingdom and advance in personal holiness. Among the chief ways that Brainerd used to pursue greater and greater holiness and usefulness, prayer and fasting stood out above all. We read of him spending days in prayer. 
how many, how many among us struggle to spend 10 minutes in prayer? I want to I raise my hand first off, all right? Days in prayer. Look at this quote. Blessed be God. I had much freedom five or six times in day in prayer and praise and felt a weighty concern upon my spirit for the salvation of those precious souls and the enlargement of the Redeemer's kingdom among them. You guys have that in your handout, right? Okay, it should be on the overhead too. But he also, again and again in his diary, he tells of days spent in fasting. This is a larger quote. I'm going to have it up on the screen as well. Oops, let me go back a little bit here. Here we go. Wednesday, April 20th. Set this day apart for fasting and prayer. And remember, this is a fellow who didn't get enough food on a regular basis. Okay? To bow my soul before God for the bestowment of divine grace, especially that all my spiritual afflictions and inward distresses might be sanctified to my soul. My soul was pained to think of my barrenness and deadness that I have lived so little to the glory of the eternal God. I spent the day in the woods alone and there poured out my complaint to God, oh, that God would enable me to live to his glory for the future. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read such things, I am just humbled and strongly aware of how weak by comparison I am, having none, just, just minuscule. infinitesimally smaller burdens than this man had. And that's why his weakness became such a powerful motivator to those who are obedient to the call because they identified that if God would use such a man with his weaknesses in such a way that you and I and the missionaries who were inspired by him could be also used for God's glory. So, summary. In summary. Oswald Smith, who was the founding pastor of the People's Church in Ontario, paid tribute to Brainerd with these words. So greatly... Was I influenced by the life of David Brainerd in the early years of my ministry that I named my youngest son after him? When I was about 18 years of age, I found myself 3,000 miles from home, a missionary to the Indians. No wonder I love Brainerd. Brainerd it was who taught me to fast and pray. I learned that greater things could be wrought by daily contact with God than by preaching. When I feel myself growing cold, I turn to Brainerd, and he always warms my heart. 
No man ever had a greater passion for souls. To live holy for God was his one great aim and ambition. A few years ago, John Piper wrote this. I thank God for the ministry of David Brainerd in my own life. The passion for prayer, the spiritual feast of fasting, the sweetness of the word of God, the unremitted perseverance through hardship, the relentless focus on the glory of God, the utter dependence on grace, the final resting in the righteousness of Christ, the pursuit of perishing sinners, the holiness while suffering, the fixing the mind on what is eternal and finishing well without cursing the disease that cut him down at 29. So I commend to you, like those countless missionaries and saints that have gone before, get a copy of the life of David Brainerd. Read it for yourself. And again, I would, you, you all have with you that quote, that final quote, David Brainerd quote. Let's, let's recite that together, okay? It begins with, I could have no freedom. Let's read that together. I could have no freedom in the thought of any other circumstances or business in life. All my desire was the conversion of the heathen, and all my hope was in God. God does not suffer me to please or comfort myself with hopes of seeing friends, returning to my dear acquaintance, and enjoying worldly comforts. David Brainerd. Well, questions. We've got a few minutes. Questions on the life of David Brainerd? How God used him? His influences? The impact of his life in Edward's book? Actually, no information on his siblings. Um, what I gave you in a chronology is pretty much it with regard to his personal history. Uh, like many of the older uh, records of saints, very little you know, biographical information exists. Good question. I'm sorry? Is the question... You know, are there writings from David Brainerd himself? Yes, his diaries do exist, and copies of them exist, and there are also edited versions of his uh, writings. Uh, when, when Edwards wrote his book, he actually redacted quite a number of the, the statements concerning despondency. He would fall into the Whitfield camp and the Edwards camp. He was more uh, focused on the sovereignty of God more than man's ability or free will. Good question. All right. I can't believe that I'm ending early. This, there, obviously, God is still doing miracles today. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you. for that, that great cloud of witnesses that speak of how you are worthy of our trust, of how you are worthy of 
our complete devotion. And Father, as we, as we look at the life of this man, this short life, converted only eight years of ministry, even less in ministry, how you used him in all of his weakness. And Father, we would pray, use me, use even me in that same way. Cause us to pay attention to our calling that you have given us, that we would serve you with great devotion and passion, that we would pursue you with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength for your glory and for the exaltation of Christ and his kingdom. Amen.